Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 3, Episode 24. Last week, I worked through the second half of the Fourth Dynasty and traced ancient Egyptian history until about the midpoint of the Fifth. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm beginning where I left off, with Pharaoh Nefefer of the Fifth Dynasty, and somehow managing to trace the history through the end of the Sixth Dynasty, which also marks the end of the Old Kingdom. So let's get started. Neferfer was probably the fourth, or maybe the fifth ruler of the Fifth Dynasty, which means, of course, we're still in the Old Kingdom. He was most likely the eldest son of Pharaoh, Nefer-Iker, and the reason I say he was either the fourth or the fifth Pharaoh is that someone named Shepseskar may have ruled before or after him. Have you noticed that Egyptian history swings wildly from very understood leaders to ones we know very little about? Ancient history is exceedingly frustrating at times. During his reign, Neferfor began building a pyramid at Abu Ser, but it was never finished, apparently abandoned in the second year of his reign, probably due to his death when he was between 20 and 23 years old. Even though it was not finished, he was still interred there. You may be wondering, as I was, why the construction of a pyramid abruptly stopped with the death of a pharaoh. The answer is quite simple. Their religion required that a body be interred within 70 days of death, and they could not continue to build a building where their deceased now essentially deified, former leader Lay. So, construction stopped as soon as the deceased pharaoh was placed in the structure, whatever condition the structure was in. There is one upside to his untimely death and partially completed pyramid. Of course, the upside did not benefit him personally, but it has benefited archaeologists many millennia later. An unfinished pyramid apparently garnered less attention from grave and stone robbers than did the other nearby pyramids. His mummified remains were found there and essentially dated via radiocarbon to between 2628 and 2393 BC, which aligns with the historic record. A bioarchaeological analysis of the remains revealed that the king did not partake in strenuous work, died in his early 20s, and that he stood about 5 foot 6, or 160 centimeters tall. Also as a result of his undisturbed tomb, many more statues of Neferfer have been uncovered in his complex than in any of the other 5th dynasty mortuary temples. His name is found on both the Abidios and Saqqara king list, and can be seen partially on the Turin list. Manetho also listed him. Like I said before, Neferfer could have been preceded or succeeded by Sepseskar. Both reign positions for Sepseskar are problematic for different reasons that are not really pertinent to this podcast. But I'll allow just a minute to cover his potential reign, no matter where it was positioned. If he reigned, it was around the 25th century BC, and possibly for seven years, or a few months, or not at all. He is attested to on the Saqqara tablet, but he's not on either the Abidios or the Turin list. Manetho may have mentioned him, but the name that is in his writings is completely different, 
It may represent the Greek version of his name. Frustrating. Whoever he was, or was not, he may have had an unfinished pyramid built for him, potentially one that appears to only have had a few months of construction activity, essentially now degraded to a mound of rubble. The current theory is that if he did reign, he probably seized the throne after the untimely death of his nephew, Neferfer. Remember in the last episode when I mentioned that Rainfur potentially had a twin brother, born a few minutes after him? Well, there is the thought that Septeskar was his twin brother. Of course, he may not have been a member of the royal family at all. Just an outside usurper. After a few months, he was then ousted by the more rightful heir, Neusur, who was Neferfer's younger brother. Neusur ruled for between 24 to 35 years in the second half of the 25th century BC. He was the most productive builder of this dynasty, building three pyramids for himself and his queens, and another three for his father, mother, and brother, Ala Abusser. During his reign, Egypt continued trade with the Levant, specifically Byblos, which is today Lebanon. Trade also continued in Sinai and Nubia. In Nubia, his expeditions garnered nice, which provided material for buildings and statues. And he was true to the family tradition, as during his reign he smited the Bedouins of all foreign lands. That's a quote from an inscription. I'm a bit unclear what the phrase from all the foreign lands actually means. He established such a legendary reputation that some Egyptians continued to worship him over 1,000 years after his death. His name was listed on the Abadios, Saqqara, and Turin king list. Manetho attested to him. So, all in all, very well documented. During his reign, apparently the power of the priesthood and state bureaucracy grew and power tends to be a zero-sum game. Therefore, the power of the pharaoh slowly waned, but he did remain godlike in the eyes of his subjects. Changes in the Egyptian administration during this period are demonstrated by a dramatic increase in the number of titles, as well as the creation of new administrative offices. Neusur was succeeded by Menkauher Kayu, who could have been his nephew, and therefore a son of his brother, Neferfer. Minkahor Kayu, let's just call him Minkahor, ruled for eight or nine years at the end of the 25th and beginning of the 24th centuries BC. All he is known for is the construction of a few monuments and an expedition to the copper and turquoise mines of Sinai. One of the monuments he had built was the last attested to Sun Temple, known as the Horizon of Ra, but the actual remains, and even its location, remains unfound to this day. The worship of Ra was on the decline, as the religious focus is thought to have shifted towards Osiris. Minkalhor was buried in a small pyramid at Saqqara, which was lost to the shifting desert sands. Well, it was lost until it was uncovered in the 19th century AD. Then it was lost again only to be fully excavated in 2008. Today this tomb is known as the Headless Pyramid. It's called Headless because the top of the pyramid is, well, it's gone. Minkahor can be found on both the Abadius and Turin King list, Manetho's writings, as well as the Sakara tablet. 
there have been a few archaeological artifacts that mention him, too. He was succeeded by Dejedkar, who may have been his son. But this is only an assumption and is based on the perceived smooth transition from the former to the newer. Dejedkar sat on the throne for as long as 40 years, which if true, would make him the longest reigning ruler of the 5th dynasty. He continued the tradition of sending expeditions to Sinai for turquoise and copper, and he also sent one to Nubia for gold and diorite. In fact, it's thought that it was during his reign that gold was uncovered in the southern land of Nubia. Trade continued with the Levant, perhaps as far north as Anatolia. There were also punitive military raids into Canaan. The reasons they were described as punitive remains unclear. One such raid turns out to be one of the earliest known depictions of a battle or siege scene. This carving was found on the tomb of one of Dejekar's subjects and shows the Egyptians scaling the walls of an unknown city with ladders. Dejekar was buried in a pyramid at Saqqara, a pyramid that is merely a shadow of its former self due to the theft of stone from its outer casing. But the embedded tomb, when excavated in the 20th century, still held Dejekar's mummy. Examinations of the mummy revealed that he died when he was in his 50s. Apparently, he established a feudal system that is believed to have been one of the catalysts for the collapse of the Old Kingdom, about 200 years later. As you probably could have guessed, especially considering his long reign, Dejekar's name can be found on all the usual lists. And, I'm going to pause here for a second to touch on a subject that proved important in the book of Genesis. You'll remember, many, many episodes ago, towards the end of chapter 2 of the podcast, I worked my way through a summary of that book, in chapter 41 to be exact. We see where the formerly imprisoned Joseph was appointed as vizier of Egypt. During the old kingdom of Egypt, the role and power of the administrative state grew, and one such position that would gain power was that of a vizier. During Dejekar's reign, the vizier grew in importance. While he was pharaoh, and lasting through at least the next dynasty, the viziers were responsible for the weaponry of the state. They were also in charge of the royal scribes. At this time, due to the size of the various administrative states, three viziers would be in office at the same time. Two in the Memphite region and a southern one, known as the governor of Upper Egypt, who governed from Abadaios. There were other administrative jobs too. Jobs such as the overseer of the granary and overseer of the treasury. Sound familiar? At this time, these were lower level jobs that would eventually be consolidated into the role and power of the vizier. It's connections such as these that are the purpose of the podcast. How the history of the world is so intertwined with the history of the religion. Okay, Unpause. Dejekar was succeeded by Unnez, who is thought to have been his son. But there's been no evidence so far that conclusively shows this. Unnez was the last ruler of the 5th dynasty, ruling for a period between about 15 and 30 years, with the Turin king list claiming the longer number. His mummy has been found, and it appears that he died when he was no older than 45 so a reign of 30 years is about as long as it could have been, assuming he did not rule as a child. 
He did complete a pyramid, but it was the smallest of the Old Kingdom, at least when compared to the others that were actually completed. Like his predecessor, his name can be found on all the king lists I've covered. Anez had many children, but all that survived into adulthood appear to have been female, as he likely died without a male heir. There's little evidence of what occurred during his reign, with the exception of a detailed drawing found at his mortuary temple. On this relief, there are two large seagoing ships returning from an expedition to the Levitine coast. On the ships are Syro-Canaanite men, who were either the boat's crews or captured slaves. Another relief shows a military campaign. On it, Egyptians armed with bows and daggers attack Canaanite nomads known as the Shazu. But, similar reliefs have been found in other, earlier pyramid complexes, and therefore, these may have been standard themes instead of depictions of actual events. He used to be known for the economic decline of his reign, and the assumption of a decline was due to the depictions at his tomb of emaciated people, thus suggesting a famine. This assumption changed when later excavations at a different location uncovered similar reliefs in the mortuary complex of Sahir, who reigned during a period known to be prosperous in the early 5th dynasty. The current view is that the reliefs are likely depictions of desert dwellers, potentially nomads. They are thought of as outsiders due to their specific hairstyle, so not Egyptians. Now, it's thought that these drawings are standard representations of the pharaoh's generosity towards the destitute. Joseph's brothers, anyone? They also demonstrate the difficulty of life in the desert regions bordering Egypt, rather than referring to actual events affecting the Egyptian people. And there was something new during his reign. Well, actually occurring immediately after it. And these were the pyramid texts which remain the oldest surviving religious text from the region. This tradition would last through the 8th dynasty about 200 years later. These texts were carved, then painted on the walls of the corridors, antechamber, and burial chamber of his pyramid. They contained magical spells intended to help the king overcome the adverse conditions of the underworld, and then unite with the sun god Ra, his divine father, in the afterlife. Anez was succeeded by Teti, possibly after a succession crisis catalyzed by the former having no male heir. But the transition doesn't appear to have been terribly disruptive. The administrative part of the government shows no signs of conflict, with many officials continuing their careers from Anez's into Teti's reign, including the three viziers. Teti was the first pharaoh of the 6th dynasty, ruling for about 12 years in the middle of the 24th century BC. So still several hundred years before Abraham would journey to Egypt. And during his reign, there are several signs that the administrators of the government were gaining in wealth and power. Probably the most distinctive sign, at least the one known to us today, is that of his vizier Murukah, who had a huge tomb at Saqqara. 33 richly carved rooms, the largest known tomb for a non-pharaoh. As for Teti himself, Manetho claimed that he was murdered by his palace bodyguards in a harem plot. 
But there is other evidence that he was assassinated by a usurper named Usakar. Palace intrigue that may never be resolved. And he was succeeded by Usakar, whose short reign only lasted between one and five years. And despite what Manetho wrote, there is a competing theory that he wasn't a usurper at all, but instead a regent who ruled while the next ruler, probably a son of Tetsi, was a child. Either way, Usakar's name is on several of the king list, and one of those is interesting enough for a minute's distraction. Details about Usakar's reign were once found on an artifact known as the South Saqqara Stone. This stone recorded the history of the Sixth Dynasty and actually dates to that period, which gives it more credibility. But, and this is the reason I bring it up, about 90% of the original text was lost when the stone was crudely polished for reuse as a sarcophagus lid, possibly during the late First Intermediate Period, about 200 years later. Let that be a lesson. Not all recycling is to the benefit of humanity, or at least to the benefit of historians. But the existence of Usakar on the list can be inferred from a large physical space between the reigns of Teti and Pepi I, as well as from traces of a royal title in this space. Although the actual recording of Usakar's activities is lost to the grinder's stone, the physical length of the blank space suggests that Usakar, or at least someone, ruled Egypt for between two and four years. Then again, there could have been a reason his name was ground off. Usakar was succeeded by Pepi I, which, unlike so many of the rulers I've covered to date, is a really easy name to pronounce. And it's fun, too. Pepi I. Pepi ruled for about 50 years. As I'm sure you have noticed, was a really long time for the era. It lends credence to the theory that his predecessor was a regent. In order to rule for such a long time, all other things being equal, he would have had to assume the throne at a young age. His reign was marked by an aggressive expansion in the Nubia, the spread of trade into far-flung areas such as Lebanon and the Somali coast. But on the downside, the power of the nobility meaning priestly and administrative class, continued to grow. Pepi was a copious builder who directed extensive construction projects in Upper Egypt at many different locations, and not just buildings. There was a large canal built near Aswan at a location known as the First Cataract of the Nile. Other than that, not much is known of Pepi. And in geography, at least in the case of the Nile, a cataract is a place where the river is shallow, rocky, and essentially impassable to watercraft. At some of the six different cataracts along the Nile are rapids. After Pepi was his son, Merenra, who reigned in the 23rd century BC for less than a decade, perhaps between six and nine years. Not much is known about his reign. He is attested to on the usual documents, yada, yada, yada. He did begin to consolidate power through appointing fewer governors with larger territories. Anyway, moving along. After Merinrod was his probable son, Pepi II, who assumed the role of Pharaoh when he was six years old, when his father died. His reign is most well known as the period when the Old Kingdom declined rapidly, 
As the power of the local nobility, the administrative government, and the priest grew, the pharaoh became less and less important, and in the absence of a single dominant leader, the local nobles began raiding each other's territories, and the old kingdom came to an end within decades after Pepi II's death. But first, how did they get there? Since he assumed the throne at such a young age, it's thought that his mother, Queen Akhenaten-Pepi II, probably ruled as regent in the early years of his reign. An uncovered artifact, an alabaster statue, shows the young Pepe II in full royal regalia, specifically the royal Nama's headdress and a kilt. Betch didn't know that the pharaoh was Scottish. He wasn't, and I'm certain the Egyptians didn't call it a kilt, nor play the bagpipes, nor eat haggis, but he was wearing what resembled a kilt. He's sitting on the lap of his mother, and his mother wasn't the only person who may have aided the child ruler. As it turns out, her brother, Sopepe's uncle, had been a vizier under the previous pharaoh, Merenra. Since he took the throne at such a young age, it would be expected that barring any disease or accident, he would rule for a long time. Apparently, he did. Maybe as long as 94 years more likely about 62 years, which is still a long time to be in power. In many ways, his reign was similar to that of his immediate predecessors, trade with the Levant, Sinai, and Nubia, expeditions to foreign lands, governors in the various administrative regions, increasing wealth and power going to ranking officials, officials who were not taxed and could pass their titles to their offspring, Storm clouds on the horizon. Storm clouds which would lead to a torrent of decline. Pepe II did construct a pyramid for himself, which, considering he was most likely the longest reigning ruler of the Old Kingdom, shouldn't surprise anyone. But its size was on par with that of his predecessors. Pepe II was followed by his son, Marinra II. He should be seeing a pattern here grandsons named after grandfathers. Considering he took charge after his father's really long reign, a reign somewhere between 60 and 90 years, it's not shocking that Marinra II was really old and did not rule for long. In his case, about 13 months, all in the first half of the 22nd century BC. And given this short period, there really wasn't much that could have happened except he was unable to stem the decline of the Old Kingdom. His successor was Neshjekar Zepta, who is generally considered the last ruler of both the Sixth Dynasty and therefore the Old Kingdom. But in a few lesser-used classification systems, he's the first pharaoh of the next dynasty. Either way, the empire wasn't what it used to be. He ended up ruling for three years, and a chaotic time it was, and along with chaos and a loss of control, especially in a centralized government, comes a lack of good record-keeping. As such, not much is known about him, and with that, the end of the Old Kingdom, which is a great stopping point for this week's episode. But before the usual sign-off and rolling of the credits, a quick summary. This week's episode spanned from the pharaoh Neferfer of the Fifth Dynasty to Neshjekar Septa of the Six, 
a time period from the early 25th century BC to 2181 BC, so around 300 years. And when I said I was going to step on the accelerator, I meant it. In case you're wondering why I'm covering this society in so much depth, just remember that in another 200 years or so, we'll be at the time when Abram journeyed to Egypt and tried to pass Sarai off as his sister, which to us seems really long ago, and it was. But as you can see now, when he made the trip, the pyramids were already there, the same pyramids we can gaze upon. The Sphinx stood guard, and the Egyptian religion had passed from Ra to Osiris. A prolific period of the empire had come and gone, and the country was readily trading with their neighbors, including those in Canaan, where Abram lived prior to heading south. And with that, I'll sign off. Join me next week when I'll begin working through the first intermediate period. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, please go to iTunes or wherever you receive the podcast from and leave a positive review. For those of you that have, you are helping others to find the podcast. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.